to a devotion this evening about the, the idea and the, the concept and the topic of joy. And this time of year, we look at Christmas and the coming of Christ. Um, joy is all over the place in the Christmas story. We see in uh, Luke chapter 2 when um, <coughs> Luke chapter 2 when uh, the angel appeared to the shepherds and said do not be afraid for behold I bring you good news of great joy in Matthew 2 um, verse 10 the wise men uh, they saw the star and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy uh, in Luke chapter 1, when Mary visits her, her relative Elizabeth, who, who's the mother of John the Baptist, Elizabeth uh, says to Mary there, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. A few verses later, in Mary's Magnificent, she praises the Lord and, and she says, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So, so much joy here at the birth of this child in Bethlehem a little over 2,000 years ago. And so as we stop and we look at this and, and think about it, we, um, we come to Scripture and look at this concept of joy. We want to ask and think about, well, what, does, what does this mean? What, what is it that, that the wise men and Elizabeth and, and Mary, what were they experiencing here in the birth of Christ? And so um, there's a couple ideas to look at. First of all, if we go to Merriam-Webster and bring up uh, the definition of joy, this is what it says. The emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Well, that's, that's certainly one way to think about it. Uh, it's an emotion, a feeling that happens when things are going well or, or happens when we get what we want. But that's not the biblical definition of joy. That's not the biblical perspective and way to look at joy. It doesn't bring true, lasting joy uh, to be based on, on circumstances or based on getting things. That's not the kind of joy we're talking about. Um, one Bible dictionary gave, gives this definition. Um, it says, thus, in disagreement with the prevailing modern understanding, Joy primarily refers not to an involuntary and internal emotion, but like righteousness and peace to comprehensive, value-centered, complex behavior, which like righteousness can stand for the sum of Christian behavior. So th this is fascinating when we start to look at this. We, and it's saying that joy, as the Bible presents it, is not something that, that we're merely just a passive recipient of. It's not something that merely happens to us from outside that we just can't control. But it's saying that joy is something that we can willingly have or not have. It's something that we are actively participating in. As a matter of fact, in a number of times in Scripture, the subject of joy actually comes as a command to us. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, you have joy. So not a suggestion, not an option, but instead a command that the believer rejoice. 
another Bible dictionary says it this way, that um, biblical joy is a state of being and a choice. It, it says that joy comes on account of what Christ has done, irrelevant of whatever other circumstances are happening in one's life. So we, we look at this and think about it, and we, we think, well, how does this work? How is joy not tied to what happens to us? Um, how can having joy be a choice? And when we think about it, to, to put it really simply, it's because of the object of our joy. It's because of where our joy is found, what our joy is rooted in. Um, Paul says in Philippians 3, Verse 1, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, one chapter later in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always in the Lord. The psalmist in, in, 40, in Psalm 43, verse 4, it says this, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God my God. God my exceeding joy. Joy found in him. Um, R.C. Sproul said it this way. He said, the key to the Christian's joy is its source, which is the Lord. If Christ is in me and I am in him, that relationship is not a sometimes experience. The Christian is always in the Lord, and the Lord is always in the Christian. And that is always a reason for joy. Even if the Christian cannot rejoice in his circumstances, if he finds himself passing through pain, sorrow, or grief, he still can rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in the Lord, and since he never leaves us nor forsakes us, we can rejoice always. And so when we read a statement like this, we easily see that, <clears throat> that, that doctrine that we learn matters. right? Doctrine of the union with Christ, doctrine of justification, doctrine of imputation, all of those things matter and they're very practical in our lives as believers because they lead to knowing and, and understanding of these truths that we might experience great joy, true joy in Christ. That's what we have in common here with, with those who were in the Christmas narrative that we talked about earlier. Both they and we hold as the object of our joy this Christ who has come into the world. They rejoice to see this Savior. He, he'd been promised in Genesis 3 and seen in, in Genesis 22 and Deuteronomy 8 and 2 Samuel 7 and, and Zechariah 6 and everywhere else in the Old Testament. All these Old Testament passages where God is, is promising one who will come and will save his people. The wise men who saw the fulfillment of Genesis 49 and, and Numbers 24, they rejoiced at seeing the king from the tribe of Judah and this star that comes forth from Jacob. In Mary's Magnificent, she, she praises the Lord with great joy and, and calls him God my Savior. Rejoicing in the Lord. He is the object of our joy. And our joy is found in him. And so then we see if this, if this joy of which Jesus is the object is commanded and, it, and if it, <clears throat> we're active in it, 
It's not just a passive thing, then how do we get it? Um, we, we think about the Apostle Paul and the joy that he talks about having and, and, and how he's, he tells us that we, we are to have joy in the epistles. And uh, we go and we look at something like 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is what he writes. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And we read that, and it doesn't sound like a time for rejoicing. And so what, what gave Paul joy in the midst of situations like this? And like we said, it's where our joy is found. It's found in Christ. And also, if we wanted to put it in a very short statement, we could say that our joy comes in knowledge of the gospel. Knowledge of the gospel. And, um, here's kind of what I mean when I say that. First of all, um, we want to look at knowing the character of God and who God is. Knowing his perfect and steadfast love. Knowing that he is perfectly good. Knowing the promises of God and constantly reminding ourselves of them. It's one reason why being in the word daily is so important. These, these truths that are there about the very nature of God that we must be reminded of. We must preach them to ourselves. Psalm 119 says this, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Knowing who God is, what he's done, it's an absolutely critical thing in, in finding true and lasting joy in our lives. So first thing, knowing the character of God. Second, knowing the character of mankind. Knowing who we are. Knowing what we truly deserve. You know, that's why Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, he, he spends three chapters Describing how incredibly unholy and unworthy and vile every single person is by nature and by choice. That we've earned nothing, we deserve nothing but the farthest depths of hell. That's why we study something like the doctrine of, of sin. That doesn't sound like a very fun thing to study, but until we understand the, the depths of the depravity in, in who we are, it's impossible to have the thankfulness and the accompanying joy of who Christ is and what he's done. And so Jesus told an interesting parable about this or in, in gave an interesting saying on this in, Genesis, in, in Luke chapter 7. It says this, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, say it, teacher. And Jesus said, a moneylender who had two debtors, one, owned 500, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to pay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. So this idea of knowing the depths of our sin 
and seeing it rightly, seeing it correctly, leading to gr the greater joy in Christ and knowing what he has done to save us. So we've got to know um, the character of God. We have to know the character of mankind. Third, we've got to know and understand what God has done to bring us back into fellowship with himself through Christ. Um, and to think about the absolute miracle of what we celebrate this time of year, that the second person of the triune God of the universe, the very agent of creation, would take flesh to himself and be born in the likeness of humanity. And in doing so, he joined together his divine nature and, and, that, uh, and a human nature. And so that now he's one person with these two natures. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. And this is what it says. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. A few verses later in, in 14 through 18, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That's the advent. That's, that's Christmas. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation, a, a sacrifice that appeased God, turned away the wrath of God for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being I mean, these are great Christmas verses. You've seen Christ taking on humanity to himself in order to identify with humanity, that he might become our great high priest. He might become our mediator. He might offer up himself as a sacrifice, not that of bulls and goats, but himself on the cross for us in our place. And in three days, rise from the dead thereby defeating death and the devil through his own death and resurrection. All of this so that we might be brought back into relationship with the God of the universe. And so now he lives to actively make intercession on our behalf before God the Father. And all of this is made possible because God the Son condescended and took on our humanity. It's a cause for great joy. And fourthly, we know that upon hearing all of these things, we, there must be a response by someone to this gospel message. Response of repentance and of faith. A turning away from sin, a forsaking of sin, a hatred of sin, and faith, a total belief in this gospel, a total trust in the person of Jesus to save us. And then by repenting and believing, we may be saved. And 
That's the gospel message, and that is what brings joy where nothing else can. And so I've talked about this this evening to, to say, let us then rejoice, especially in this season. Let us make Christ the object of our joy. Again, thinking back to Paul, like when he, in Philippians, there, he's in prison as he writes. He had all this joy in the Lord because he knew the character of God. He knew the depths of his own sin. He knew what God had done for him in Christ. And therefore he rejoiced. And so at this time of year, this season, may we also rejoice as we remember the one who came into the world that he created in order to suffer and die that we might be saved. So let's pray together. Father, we We just thank you tonight for this truth of the gospel of, of Christ, the one who was promised coming into the world, Lord, living a perfect life, suffering, dying, and rising. Father, I pray you would help us throughout the, the end of this week to be able to Think back and reflect and meditate on this truth. And we might worship you. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.